How's everybody doing? I'm really glad you're here, and I think there's probably, like every week, some of you here for the first time. Welcome, and just add my welcome to all the others that have been given. Uh, You are one of the reasons we exist. We're here to help people get connected to God and to other people through Jesus. We're trying to do our best at that. One thing that we've been working on for a long time, and we're nearing the conclusion of, is building a building of our own where we can just invite everyone in from the community and say, there is room here for you. That is at 1332 Fizey, and Lord willing, we're about five weeks away from being in there for worship, so... <laughs> I don't want to jinx it by saying that, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise. That's where we'll be. And if you would like to help accelerate that process, we have a work day this afternoon. We need some guys and, and like, just need some people to come to do work on phase two, which is the existing building. So if you've got any ability at all, we'd love to have you there this afternoon to help move the process along. Again, I'm just really glad you're here. Uh, there's something that everybody who is human being, if you've got a heartbeat and you're breathing, you've got this experience. We all know what it's like to be thirsty. Some of you, maybe you're thirsty right now. It's a fact, it's such a common human experience. It's one of the first things that we learn to say when we're little kids. If you're a parent, you've probably heard your child say firsty. They can't pronounce the TH, so they say firsty, along with mommy, daddy, potty, and uh-oh. It's like one of the things we learn to say. How many of you right now, you care about your hydration so much? You have your own personal hydration system right now. Who has, who has their water bottle? I'm Boy Scouts, always be prepared, right? Uh, anybody got their Starbucks Grande Latte going? Anybody got the Mountain Dew flowing intravenously right now? Right? Be prepared. That's, that's. So how many of you, uh, you just, this is important to you, just like you drink your 64 ounces a day or whatever it is, right? Hydration is important. One estimate says that our bodies are something like 80% water. You do the math on that. If you weigh 80, 180 pounds, you're like a buck 50 of just water, which means if you take our bones out, we're just walking water balloons. That's what we are, right? So staying hydrated is important. What happens when you don't stay hydrated? What happens when you become dehydrated? Nothing good. I can tell you this from personal experience. Several years ago, I was out on a hike on the Ozark Trail, three-day hike down in southern Missouri with a guy named Kyle Sackett. I don't think Kyle's here today. I would have him stand up if he was to illustrate how big Kyle is, because this is going to be important later in this true story. We started, we're going to do this three-day hike. We started on Bell Mountain. We were going to hike through over Bell Mountain, Groggins Mountain, down to the Johnson shut-ins, if you've ever been there, and then on up to the top of Tomsock Mountain, which is the highest point in Missouri. We chose a time of year, it's already southern Missouri, and it was triple-digit heat index, way hot. But we were prepared. We each brought like a, a gallon of water, and we brought water filtration devices, and we had iodine to treat the water we found. The only problem on this hike was there was no water anywhere. It was the summer, it was hot, it was, it was a dry spell. So all the water sources were on the map, all the springs, all the streams, all the ponds, they were all completely dry. And I'm an experienced outdoorsman. I know how to find water, so I know you're quite, did you go low? Did you, I did all the things you're supposed to do. There was just not any water. It was dry as a bone. If I found a cow pond, I would have drank out of it at this point. So we're like day two in. We've carried a gallon of water each, and it's gone. And it's in the afternoon, and we're starting to get that, that dehydrated feeling, and it's still a ways to the Johnson shut-ins. And we're like, oh, man, this is getting dangerous. I looked at Kyle, and he didn't look good. I'm starting to make plans. I'm going, okay, Kyle, I'll carry your pack, and then you carry me. Okay. <laughs> it just tells you, this shows, you know, we haven't had enough water. We're not thinking clearly. 
we finally got to on the Ozark Trail, the place where there was the boundary marker for the Johnson shut-ins natural area, the state park. Went, oh, we made it because now we know we're within a half hour of either a visitor center with water or at least the shut-ins, the water, because that's not going to be dry. And so we're, oh, we're going to make it. And all we could think of was water. And then we go about five minutes into the park and we see, oh, hallelujah, even better. There's a park ranger. He'll have water. No, we found a park ranger who was having a heat stroke, literally. I don't know what would have happened to him if we hadn't found him. He was disoriented. He was completely dry and pale. We helped him get to the, all three of us together. We looked like the walking wounded. We finally got him in there and got him some water. And and he was like, thank you. I don't know what would have happened. And we got that water. And uh, there's just something about taking a drink when you haven't had enough to drink. Now that story ended okay. We survived, but it doesn't always end well. Back in 1991, a man named Patrick decided to do a hike to set a personal record for himself. He was going to hike 20 miles across the Badwater Salt Flats. And if you have never heard of that, you've heard of the place where the Badwater Salt Flats exist. They're in a place called Death Valley National Park out in California. He's going to do a 20-mile hike across that, set a new time record for himself just to do the hike itself. Uh, we got a picture of what it looks like, I believe. There you go. Uh, just a desolate, dry place. You know, the, the temperature in Death Valley sometimes reaches over 130 degrees. The ground temperature can be over 200 degrees right there at the surface. It's not a place where you mess around. Patrick, before he left, he was an outdoorsman, he was an athlete, and what he did was he said, in order to set the record, he was bragging to his friends, I have calculated every single ounce that I can leave behind safely in order to make this. He even said, I calculated exactly how much water I'm going to need during this time so that I can make it back to my truck where I'm going to have more water waiting for me. Patrick calculated, I can do this with three quarts of water, 20 miles. I know from my own personal experience, not even there, just on the Appalachian Trail, I can go through three quarts of water in less than an hour, much less 20 miles. Patrick needed three gallons, not three quarts of water. And it was his fatal decision. Patrick set off on his hike. Rescuers later found his body a quarter mile from his truck where the water was. He just didn't have it to go any further. When he started this walk or this run or this endurance slog through the desert, he weighed 165 pounds. When they found him, he had dehydrated to under 90 pounds. That's what happens when you... Anybody thirsty right now? Who's like, give me a drink of water. Somebody give me quick. (laughs) You ever been thirsty like that, though? Maybe not like Death Valley thirsty, but have you ever been thirsty like it's two-a-days in football practice and you got an old-school coach who doesn't believe in drinking water? I had one of those coaches. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you ever been mowing the grass in August at noon? Like, who thinks that's a good idea? But I've done that too. You've just been that so thirsty that your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth and you can't think of anything but water. There, there's just, you, can, you know this. You can go, how long can you go without eating? Well, personally, I can't go more than an hour, but <laughs> how long can you survive without eating? Over a month, right? How long can you survive without drinking water? It's like days. You're not going to make it very long. We, we need water. When you're 80% water, you need water. It's a good thing God wired us with what Max Lucado calls a, a low fluid indicator. That's what thirst is. It's telling you, your body needs water. Drink something. So we all know, come on, we all know what it's like to feel physical thirst, right? There's another kind of thirst that we can also experience. There's a, such a thing as a spiritual thirst. 
And that's what this whole series is all about. This is based on a book by Max Lucado. He's an author and a pastor. It's called Come Thirsty. And this series is about paying attention to the thirst that's in our, in our, in our soul. It's paying attention to what our thirsty souls are telling us about our need for God. It's like, just as everybody has this indicator that says, hey, you're running low on water, get a drink. Every one of us has something within our soul that's saying, you're running low on God. And, and there's something missing deep inside your heart. And you need to do something about that. In fact, there's a great picture of this in the Bible. If you go to the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, and if you're kind of unfamiliar with the Bible, it starts with a P. I know it's weird, the P is silent. Psalms is just basically a songbook of of prayers and songs written to God. And Psalm 42 is a beautiful song to God. It's written by a man named David. He said this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Isn't that just a cool picture? I try to picture some of these poetic, metaphoric type things in my mind. What would it be like for a deer in the heat of August to have run and now just panting? And then there's a beautiful mountain stream. And the deer just walks up and gets a drink. And David, David was an awesome songwriter before he ever became a king in Israel. David wrote this song. He said, that's like my soul. And when I haven't been in God's presence for a while, I feel it like a deer feels the thirst for the water. Awesome picture. You know when your body gets deprived of water for long enough, you feel it. You know how that works. When you're legit thirsty, you can't think about anything about water. Like your, your tongue starts to swell up a little bit. Your roof of your mouth is dry. For me, I get a headache right here. Anybody else? and you're a little bit dehydrated. Then there's the uh, thinking gets kind of groggy. Maybe you start getting dizzy and disoriented. You can't think very well. If you go long enough, your skin will start to wrinkle. Your mouth will get dry. Your, your eyes start to get dry. You can't even produce tears anymore. You need water. It's, uh, when you're 80% water and you're running low on H2O, it's time to drink something. And when you deprive your soul of spiritual water, there will be symptoms that will inevitably spring up as as a result of that as well. And many times, these things are in our lives, and it's just right there, but we don't think about what it is as what it really is. For example, maybe, maybe you find yourself losing your temper again. Maybe you just have this sense of sadness that just goes on and on and on. Maybe you just feel really guilty, and if you stop to think about it, you can't even remember what it was you did that's making you feel guilty. It's just a free-floating sense of guilt over your life. I know I've done something wrong, I just don't know what it is. Maybe you have this sense that things are just not going to work out, that everything is going wrong in the world and in your life, and it's not your day, week, month, year, decade. It's just everything's horrible. You're worried all the time. You feel anxiety. There's a burning in your stomach. Max Lucado says it this way, dehydrated hearts send desperate messages. And you may have never recognized this for what it was. You just might think, well, hey, I'm just having a bad week. Maybe you think, well, my whole family worries all the time. We often don't correctly diagnose what our souls are trying to tell us. Your soul's trying to tell you, you're thirsty for God. And we're like, no, it's something else. You just think, this is how I am. Maybe you think, I'm just really busy right now. And it will get better. 
Or you think, well, have you not seen the news? Of course I'm upset. Look at what's going on. You see this and you see that and you see well, what he said and what they tweeted. And it's like, oh my gosh, of course I'm upset. Here's the problem. We often misdiagnose our spiritual thirst. And as a result, because we don't see it for what it is, we mistreat it as well. We treat it inappropriately. I read an article a little while back, and this is kind of an analogy that makes sense to me anyway. And uh, what this article was saying was that many times when we think we're hungry and we grab something to eat or a snack, what's really going on is we were thirsty. And, and so if you're in the, kind of more in fitness than I am, maybe you can tell me if this is true or not, but th- this article is pointing to scientific research that says our brains often misinterpret the signals that our bodies are sending. So what the article was saying was, Sometimes your body sends a signal saying, I need water, and the part of your brain that processes that says, okay, you need to eat something. Well, how does that happen? Like, I, I'm pretty sure my brain should be smart enough to figure out hunger means give me food, thirst means give me water. Why does that get mixed up? Well, this article was saying that the same part of your brain processes both signals from your body. And so it can sometimes get mixed up because the signal is exactly the same. And so when you are needing water, your brain sometimes gives you the sensation that you need to eat something. So this happens. And the same kind of thing I think can happen with our souls. We mistake a spiritual thirst for God for something else. And then we start seeking out solutions that just aren't going to work because they're not really addressing the real problem. And you think, well, of course I'm just upset right now. My job is horrible. So you change jobs. And you find out it's a new boss, new situation, but it's the same problems. You think, well, I'm just stressed out right now. I just need a vacation. And you go on vacation and you come back and everything's exactly the same because what you're doing is not treating the problem. I mean, the symptoms are there, but you're not really figuring out that it's something bigger and deeper that your soul is trying to tell you. This uh, hunger thirst article I was reading pointed out a, a pretty interesting solution. It said, if you think that you're hungry, here's what you ought to do. Just go get a glass of water from the sink. Take a drink, wait 15 minutes. If you're still hungry, go ahead and eat. But chances are you were really thirsty and taking a glass of water took care of it. Well, that's interesting. That works for me. I'll try it. And another thing the article said was just drink water throughout the day and you'll pretty much be okay. So here's my question for us. What if the things that you're feeling in your life right now that are making you unsettled and uneasy, what if those are not just something simple. What if it is your soul trying to get your attention? What if it is God saying, hey, I'm trying to tell you something. You are seriously lacking in God. And that's what's missing in your life. And until you seek God, you're not going to find any satisfaction. You're not going to find any resolution to all these things that are going on in your life. So if that's true, then I guess my next question would be, where do you find water for your soul? It's a great question, and Jesus actually talks about that. If you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn to John in the Bible. If you're looking in the table of contents or if you're looking on your smartphone, it's not 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It's just plain old John, chapter 7. It's the Gospel of John. Jesus gave an answer to the question, where do you find spiritual water, Uh, in the fall, about 2,000 years ago. 
And it's one of the greatest teachings he ever gave. So if you go ahead and find John chapter 7, let me just give you a little background before we get into the teaching that Jesus gave. So this did take place 2,000 years ago. True story. Jesus was in Jerusalem along with thousands and thousands of other people. They were all there to celebrate a holiday that happened every October. Now to figure out what this was, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is an old word for shelter or tent. Now as Jesus is there celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles with everybody else who was in Jerusalem to do that, you have to go back another thousand years before him to understand where that festival came from. It's a really cool thing, a true historic event. So you go back a thousand years before Jesus, 3,000 years for us, you go back to a time when all of the Jewish people in the world could be found in Egypt. They were all slaves in Egypt, and they worked for Pharaoh. They built things for him. And God said, look, I'm, I don't want my people to be in slavery in Egypt anymore. I want them to go to the land that I've promised them. So God raises up a leader named Moses. He may sound familiar to you. And Moses, through a series of miraculous events, leads about 4 million Jewish people out of Egypt. And they have to go through the Sinai Desert up to the land which would become Israel. Now, through that whole process, it was an amazing thing that God over and over did miraculous things to take care of these people. One question for you. If you have to walk from Egypt to Israel through the Sinai Desert, where do you find water for 4 million people plus livestock? That's one of the miracles that took place. The people were dying of thirst and they cried out to God and Moses cried out to God on their behalf and God said, here's what you do, Moses. I want you to take your walking stick. I want you to take your staff. Do you see that rock over there? Yeah. I want you to go hit that rock with your walking stick. And when Moses did that, an enormous stream of fresh water just started pouring out of this. It was a spring. And enough, can you imagine enough water for four million people? To get a drink of water in the middle of the desert. It was a huge miracle. And everybody saw it. And so when they celebrate, when they thought about that, one of the things they remember when God delivered them from Egypt to the land that he eventually gave them, they remember the time in the desert where God provided us water and he, and he provided things for us to eat. So what they would do is every year they would come together in the fall and have a festival of, of tabernacles, of tents, to remember the time that they camped out in tents in the desert and God provided water. It was an amazing thing that they did. And they would repeat it. I'm thinking about, we're what, five weeks away from not being in the theater anymore? And it's the fall. Should we reenact our own little festival every year at the church building? Like maybe we, we make popcorn. And we sit down and watch a movie. You know, we carry things in totes. I don't know. I think I like the idea we have the burning of the totes every year to commemorate our time in the, the wandering, right? So what they did is, like, every October, they would reenact this, this trip from Egypt. They would literally build little shelters or tents or tabernacles, and then for a week they would camp out. It was a lot of fun. You ever go to your family's house for Thanksgiving, and some people are sleeping on the couch, and some are on the floor, and everybody's... It's kind of like that. There's a lot of eating and, and just enjoying time together and supposed to remember what God did. And so it reminds me that God will do in the present what God's done in the past. And everybody's in Jerusalem celebrating this. And what Jesus would have seen is every day for seven days in Jerusalem, one of the priests would take a golden pitcher and would walk to the spring of Gihon and take that pitcher and dip it into the spring water and then carry it down the people-lined street, kind of like a parade, all the way to the temple in Jerusalem where people worshipped. And then he would go to the altar that was in the front of the courtyard at the temple and he would walk around the altar one time and he would pour that water out as an offering to God. 
On the seventh day, the last day of the feast, the greatest day of the feast, that priest would get his pitcher of water, walk seven times around the altar, and then pour out seven pitchers of water. Now, let's read these words that Jesus spoke. Jesus may have spoke these words at the exact same time that the priest was making his seven trips around the altar and pouring out the water. Listen to this. Uh, This is John 7.37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now by this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I don't know about you. To me, as I read the Bible, this may be one of the coolest things that ever happened in Jesus' life. There's so many exceptional things that take place here. For one thing, Jesus, when he taught, would have normally done what every other rabbi would do. You sit down to teach. You stand up to read the scripture. You sit down to teach. What did it say Jesus did? He stood. I'll tell you something else about Jesus. He never yelled at anybody ever. But it says here that he said in a loud voice to get everyone's attention. If anyone is thirsty, you come to me. It's an incredible thing. Max Lucado says it this way. This was not a kind clearing of the throat. God was pounding his gavel on heaven's bench. Christ demanded attention. And I got to think to myself, why was he yelling? Why was he trying to get the attention of all these people who were listening in Jerusalem? Well, I think for one thing, his time was short. It wasn't but just maybe six months later... In these same streets, people were yelling, crucify him, and he was dragging his cross outside the gates to be killed. He's got one shot to get these people to realize where the truth really lies, and he's taking it. And here he is, he's in the very moment that this thing is happening at the temple, the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus is saying, I want you all to look at me, because everything you've been doing for a thousand years was teaching you symbolically to look for the real thing, me. You all are thirsty. You are all thirsty spiritually. You're so messed up, you don't even know how you're messed up. You don't even know how far you are from God, but I'm here to tell you God is here for you, and if you will just turn to me, you will never need to be thirsty again. I'm everything that you need. Hey, look here. What water can do for your body Jesus can do for your soul. It's always been true. And Jesus wasn't just talking to the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The reason it's recorded by John in the Bible is because it's for anybody, including people who are listening to this 2,000 years after it happened. It's for everybody. It's for you and it's for me. And you look at this and you think, how do I do that? Well, I think about this. When I get a drink of water out of the sink, I don't have to tell the water what to do. It just kind of knows where to go. I don't have to, you know, I take a drink. Okay, and I need 10 drops to go to the spleen. And I need some of you guys to head over to the liver. And it's getting to be winter. My skin's getting dry. So the rest of the water drops go out to my... I don't do that. It just knows where to go. Same thing with Jesus. If you invite him into your life, you don't have to figure it out. You just have to invite him into your life. And and I want you to think about this. You might think, well, I'm sure that's good for a lot of people, but is that really for everybody? I don't know. I kind of take Jesus seriously. When he said anyone, I'm pretty sure he meant anyone. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be a religious person. You don't have to be a church person. You just have to be an anyone. And you can ask Jesus to help you.
You don't have to give Jesus directions into your life, but you do have to give him permission. I want you to take this image into your mind. You could be standing knee-deep in the Merrimack Springs. You ever been there before? Beautiful place. Ice-cold water. Just clear and clean. You can stand knee-deep in the Merrimack Springs and die of thirst. Because unless you actually drink, get it into you, it will never help you. And so this is, I think, a message for all of us. Are you inviting Jesus in? Are you giving him permission to do what he can do? Speaking of drinking, I think of something that that the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous would talk about. It's in the big book, I believe. They would talk about how there comes a point in their life and there comes a point in a lot of people's lives where they realize the drinking or whatever else is just taken over and they can't control it and there's nothing I can do to fix it myself. And um, I can't manage this. Probably no human being could help me, they said. But then they say this in the big book. I love this. We found that God would and could if he were sought. Are you asking? Are you seeking Jesus in? That's what this whole series is about. How do you do that? I think maybe the thing I'm just trying to talk about today as I intro this series is just to to start the conversation, to start thinking about paying, am I paying attention to what my life is telling me, what my soul is telling me? Am I paying attention? Is there a thirst there that I've been ignoring or that I've been assuming is something else? And so I I think that maybe if you are outside of Jesus, this is just an invitation for you to start considering what it would be like if I actually gave Jesus control of my life, permission to lead, permission to grab the steering wheel, and I'm going to take my hands off and I'm going to let him lead my life. That's what it means when you accept Jesus as Lord. He becomes the leader of my life. I find out what he says to do and I do it. I find out what he says not to do and I let it go. And with his help, you can do that. Now, I have to say this, though. I think a lot of us who are hearing this, we're Christians, and you may think, well, you know, this is great for people who aren't yet Christians, but I've already done this, so this doesn't really apply to me. Not so fast. I think your soul could be telling you something, too. When is the last time, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this and give yourself an honest answer. When is the last time you spent even 10, 15 minutes just sit down quietly with God, with your Bible, just to pray and meditate and read some of it. And honest 10 or 15, I'm not even talking like get up at 4 in the morning and pray till 7 in the morning. Like who does that? I don't even think the people who say they do that do that. <laughs> I'm just talking about an honest time where you just sit and reflect. When's the last time you came to service in here and you weren't worrying about what you have to do after church or what your ministry is doing or what, just to come in here and simply have a time of worship where you sing songs to God and to one another, where we open the word and we listen to what it has to say, where we pray and we share communion, where we, we just sit and talk with each other and listen. When's the last time you've had an authentic time with God and with God's people? And I suspect if you're thinking, I don't really know the honest answer to that, your soul is screaming for your attention and you just don't even know it. And I want to give you one more thing because this is such a danger. It's, it's so easy to sit here and go, yeah, I, I've heard this before. I know that. I know what I'm supposed to. I know that's not the same thing as I'm doing that. Today, as I said, I'm just bringing the idea up. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk literally, how do you do this? How do you drink God into your life, whether you're a follower of Jesus and a Christian or not? But I want to give you an an acronym that Max Lucado gives that kind of describes the next four weeks for us. If you need God in your life, you need to go to the well. 
and drink deeply of Jesus. He says it this way, receive Christ's work that he has done on your behalf through the cross. To receive Christ's energy that he gives you and me through the Holy Spirit of God. To receive Christ's lordship over your life where he is the leader. And then finally, to just accept Christ's love, which is unfailing and unending. And you come to the well and you drink deeply. And as I close this out, I just want to give you an encouragement, some truth from God's word. And I'm hoping that the truth of God can line up with the truth of where your life really is. And that you can find yourself being drawn closer to God. There's a great verse. It describes a teaching that Jesus gave. It's part of something we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Jesus said this. In fact, why don't you read this out loud with me? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's something else from Jesus. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And the one who hears say, Come. Read this with me. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I just hope that you would hear Jesus speaking to you personally. To invite Him into your soul again. And you didn't even realize how thirsty you were until you opened yourself up to him. There's a great prophecy from the Old Testament, Isaiah 12.3. It just says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you do that, you will never be thirsty again.